0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Over the past few weeks, like many of you, I've been tuning in to the news a lot uh, to hear updates on what is going on in Ukraine. And while there are some really Awesome stories about how prayer is working, how bombs are blowing up in the middle of the sky instead of reaching their targets. Um, As you hear the stories coming out, it's just sad, isn't it? I'm overwhelmed with sadness. Um, Thousands of, of men and women and children have died in this conflict, in this war, which means thousands of families are just completely devastated. And it is so overwhelmingly sad for me. And one of the questions that I keep coming back to is why like why is this happening? It doesn't make sense to me. It seems like like from what I know and what seems to be reported is that this invasion has happened unprovoked, uh, that there was nothing that made them invade and, uh, invade and so I'm like, why is this happening is it Is it because uh, Putin wants to build his legacy of expanding Russia? maybe that's it is it because is it because you know ukraine is a strategic location that might be part of it as well is it because they simply want to flex their muscles that might be some of it as well but but what i have come to realize this week in preparing this passage is that the primary reason i believe that that putin has has decided to invade the ukraine is because he is seeking a greater kingdom The kingdom that he has, he's not satisfied with, and so he wants to build his kingdom and grow his kingdom because he wants a greater kingdom. You know, whether you are Ukrainian or American or Russian, there is this need deep inside of all of us. All of us long for a greater kingdom. You can see this in in even our political sphere, Why do you think people are so polarized and so strongly opinionated and spend so much money on politics? It's because we all long for a greater kingdom. Let me give you a a more lighthearted example. Uh, This past week, we went down to Florida, which is becoming an annual thing. It's good for me. I'm a Southern belle. Helps refresh my blood to come back up here and make it through the rest of winter. But Orlando, as you know, is the home of the Magic Kingdom, uh, Disney's Magic Kingdom, And when it was being dedicated in 1971, Roy Disney, who I think was the brother of Walt Disney, said this. He said, May Walt Disney World bring joy and inspiration and new knowledge to all who come to this happy place, a magic kingdom where the young at heart of all ages can laugh and play and learn together. Disney Magic Kingdom is indeed a magic kingdom. There are princes, there are princesses, there are castles, there are even flying elephants. It is a magical place to be that stretches our imagination. And It is such a wonderful place that people have called it the happiest place on earth. On a normal year, they have about 57,000 visitors a month, which is about 20 million visitors a year. To put that in perspective, that is about four times the population of Wisconsin goes to the Magic Kingdom every year. And so why do dictators attack other countries? Why are people so passionate about politics? Why do 20 million people a year visit Disney? It's because all of us long for a better kingdom. Whether you know it or not, you long for the kingdom of God. Jesus and his ministry came talking about the kingdom of God. Over a hundred times in the gospels, he spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. He tells us, his followers, to seek first, above everything else, the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom is like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. In both the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, it says that Jesus went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of what? The kingdom of God. Even at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says the time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, we celebrate here a lot that Jesus came and died for our sins to save us and to reconcile us to God, raising on the third day to give us newness of life. And this is to be celebrated and rejoiced in. We cannot overpromote it. But Jesus is more holistic than that. Jesus not only came to save sinners, Jesus came to establish a glorious kingdom, a kingdom that every heart in this world longs for, whether they know it or not. And so that's what we'll be looking at today. If you would please open up to Mark chapter 4, uh, if you're in the Red Bible, it's page 839 in the Red Bible. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to go grab one, bring it back to your seat. You will absolutely need it. Uh, just prior to today's passage, Jesus tells a parable of a sower and seed and different soils. And in verse 11 of chapter 4, if you just want to peek there, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. And so today, Jesus continues to be more explicit in his teaching about the kingdom of God, but he also does it in parables, which makes it, yes, more memorable, but also a little bit more confusing. And so uh, hopefully as we walk through this, we'll see a better picture of this kingdom, the kingdom of God. So Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. This is God's word. And Jesus said to them, For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produced by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain and the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Verse 30, and Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. Let's pray again. Lord Thank you for your word. Pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would explain these parables to us so that the kingdom might continue to grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we look at these parables about the kingdom of God, there is a theological phrase that is often used when talking about the kingdom of God that I think is good for us to know about, not only as we study this passage, but as you do your own devotional reading and read about the kingdom of God. And that, that theological phrase is the already and not yet, the already and not yet. And it's often used to talk about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God has already begun, been initiated, established at Christ's first coming, but it is not yet completed. That is the not yet. It is not yet completed until Christ comes again and finishes the kingdom of God. I sure hope the kingdom of God is not finished because this world uh, is not the way it should be. So the kingdom has come and it's already been established by Jesus, but it's not yet complete until Christ returns again. You can think of those home remodeling shows where they go in and they start, you know, gutting the property and remodeling it, right? It's already begun, but it's not yet complete. This is the picture that we have of the kingdom of God. And so when we look at these parables, which is really Jesus' first, chapter 4 of Mark is the first time he really focuses in on the kingdom of God and tries to describe it. What do we learn about the kingdom of God through these parables? Well, the first thing we learn about the kingdom of God is the surprising strategy of the kingdom of God. You know, if you were trying to create your own kingdom, okay, uh, Maybe you would buy some land up in the UP, right? You would build a fence around it or something like that. You would get a few followers, uh, people to come be a part of it. And if you're really trying to build a kingdom, you'd probably start arming yourself, start taking over the local governments and spreading out that way uh, to build your kingdom. This is, this is what the Jewish leaders thought the Messiah was going to do when he came, that he would establish a kingdom through military might, through overthrowing the government, a political kingdom. But Jesus had a much different strategy, a surprising strategy for establishing and for growing his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Look with me at verse 21. And Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, the first question that comes to us as we look at this parable is, what is the lamp? Some theologians say that the lamp is the word of God. We know Psalm 119 says, uh, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Others will say that the, that, the, that the lamp is the good news of the gospel, which Jesus is going around and teaching. Others say the lamp is the church, because they are the light of the world. Others would say that the lamp is Jesus. I would actually propose that it is all of the above, <laughs> because they're a little bit inseparable. I mean, if you look at the scriptures at the whole, they all point to the good news of the gospel of Jesus, And Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus lives in us through the Holy Spirit, which makes us the light of the world. And so to put it simple, this lamp is the good news of Jesus, whether in the person of Jesus, or in the people of Jesus, or in the message of Jesus. And so what this parable is telling us is that God's strategy of establishing and growing his kingdom is to expose Jesus to the world to make Jesus known, to bring a lamp of light into darkness. Now, God is the first one to do this by sending his son Jesus into this dark world. And God sent Jesus in, not, not, not relegating him to a certain people group like the Jews or Israel, but he brought Jesus into the world to shine out to both Jews and Gentiles, that's non-Jews, to the Samaritans, to others that were cast off, to every tribe, tongue, and nation. This light was put on a stand for all to see. But what about now? Jesus was the light while he was here, but Jesus physically, bodily, is no longer on this earth. He ascended into heaven. And so now, how does this strategy work of, of putting a lamp up on a stand to shine out and cast out the darkness? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, You, you, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. That's the same language that's used in Mark 4. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. so that that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Notice here, Jesus does not say to his followers, be light. He doesn't say be light. He doesn't say become light. He says you are light. In other words, a Christian cannot not be light. If you are a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, if you've been born again, you are light by the power of God. And so you can't not be light. It's, it's impossible for you to not be. You are light, you are the light of the world if you are a follower of Jesus. But what you can do is you can hide your light or you can put your light on a stand to shine in the darkness. You know, I grew up in Missouri and I grew up in the city. I didn't do a whole lot of camping, but when you move up here, camping's a big deal and it's, it's awesome better up here than it is in Missouri, to be honest with you. And one of the things that was, that was fascinating to me is that, you know, when I would go camping, I'd often walk around and, you know, look at the stars and things like that. But, but what was amazing to me is that there are certain campers that have these lanterns that it's like someone took the sun and put it into a glass bowl. You know what I'm talking about? It's so bright, you can't even look at it. The thing is, is that those lanterns don't work if they keep it in the casing. Uh, Those don't work uh, if they keep them in the drawer of the camper. They don't even work that well if they keep them on the ground. And so campsites have built these lantern hooks that you can hang the lantern on so that it will shine light throughout the campsite and honestly throughout the entire campground sometime, dispelling the lights. You see, we are called to not let our lamp be buried under a bowl. But so many times, that's just where we naturally gravitate to, unintentionally, unintentionally. It's true, I think, of all of us. Our light gets hidden because we get busy with family things, with, with sports, with, uh, you know, fixing this house and another house. Uh, we, get, we get busy with, um, you know, reading books and binge-watching certain series. Um, there's all sorts of things that we get busy with that we have no space to be light and darkness. And so to become, to put your light on a stand takes intentionality. It's saying, okay, what are the dark areas of this world that I can be a part of to shine my light? In some ways, Jesus's strange strategy is for you to simply show up in dark places. That might mean talking to people in the workplace. (laughs) Might mean talking to your neighbors, having someone over for a meal. Someone just before the service shared with me about how they had their neighbors over who are walked away from the church and just how encouraging that was because they're so ripe and ready to learn about Jesus. And so these are ways that we can shine in this world. We have to be intentional because our natural gravity is to go under the bowl of our house and to not get out into the darkness. Jesus continues in verse 23. He says, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has, Luke 8 actually says, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. And so basically, uh, what this is teaching us is that in the kingdom of God, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Which, which sounds awful to us. But he's saying those who are spiritually rich in Christ and, and seek first the kingdom of God will grow in their relationship with Christ and grow in their relationship with God. But those who have like a few Bible verses and, and kind of, you know, not really dedicated to following Jesus as Lord, they will have what they have taken away from them. But here's the premise of this, of this parable right here is that whatever you put into the kingdom of God, however you seek first the kingdom of God in your devotional time, uh, in, in, in your small group time, in your, in your witnessing to other people, whatever you invest in the kingdom, you will not only receive that investment back, you will receive a disproportionate amount of blessing back for whatever you invest into the kingdom. And so what we learn here is that as we seek to faithfully shine the light of Jesus... Not only does the kingdom grow out there, but the kingdom grows in here. Uh, If you've been here for a while, you know I've been working on this thing called Journey Evangelism. And one of the surprises to me is that as, as I help equip people to go and share the good news of Jesus with other people, is that the people who are doing this have a revitalization of their own joy in Jesus, And so we we may think, okay, people go and share about Jesus, other people go share about Jesus because they have so much joy in Jesus, and so they go share about Jesus. But in fact, it's kind of the opposite. In many ways, they kind of work together, but it's because they go and share about Jesus and talk about Jesus with others that their joy in Jesus grows. You know, you've probably heard of BOGO, buy one, get one free, which is a great offer, you know. But this is so much greater than that. I mean, God is so generous he says, with the measure you use, it it will be measured to you and still more, still more will be added to you. This is like a matching pledge campaign where you pledge $100 and someone matches it with $10,000. It doesn't, it's disproportional. And so whatever you invest in the kingdom, with your time, with your finances and reading, whatever it is, there is this promise that God will bless you even more. And so here we see in this first point, and it's the longest point, but this is the surprising strategy of the kingdom of God, that it's not by military might, but it's simply by shining the light of Jesus. And as we shine the light of Jesus, here's the thing, not only will the kingdom grow through you, but the kingdom will grow in you. Jesus continues to tell us about the secret sprouting of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 26 with me. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So in this part, we know that the seed is the word of God, which is the good news of Jesus. Uh, This is the same seed that was scattered earlier in this chapter that you heard about last week. Verse 27, he being the the farmer uh, or the man, sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself. Let me just pause there. That, that word by itself in the Greek is "automate," which we get the word automatic. Okay. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The kingdom of God grows through the sowing of the seed, through the sowing of the word of God, through the sowing of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the growth of that seed is not tied to the moment of the scattering of that seed. And the growth doesn't happen immediately. It takes days, even weeks or months or years for that seed to sprout. If you came over to my house and and made it on the south side of my house, you would see that I have constructed these two elaborate gardens out of cinder blocks. I know that sounds bad, but, but the reason why I use cinder blocks was so that in the holes we could plant, uh, plant um, things like thyme and, and, and uh, cilantro, what are those called? Herbs, right, herbs in those. And then in the middle of that, we would plant vegetables. And so uh, I built these two, was super ambitious about it, excited you know, to plant the seeds and then to eat the fruit of the labor. Um, but what I found out is I'm not patient. Uh, I I cannot wait for those uh, vegetables or those herbs to grow. I I want it now. (laughs) I want it in like a week. Like I don't want to plant a tomato seed and wait three months. I want it in a week. And so I'm not very patient. And so if you came to our house now, you would see that these gardens are massively overgrown because we simply abandoned the project because it's so much easier to just go buy it for a nickel at the store. Well, now it's 10 cents. But you know what I'm saying. Sadly, sadly, I would say I am a impatient gardener with people as well. Oftentimes, sometimes I'm patient, but many times, especially if I'm honest with my own kids, like I want my kids to stop sinning right now. Like what's wrong? Why are they still sinning? Do you know what I'm saying? Anyone got this? It's like, would you stop sinning? Like you should be perfect by now, right? How silly is that? Because I know I'm so far from being perfect myself. See, our growth And Jesus, we call sanctification, is a process. It takes time. But it also happens automatically. Our job is simply to sow the seed. Sow the seed of the word, sow the seed of the gospel. And then wait and pray for it to sprout. And it happens automatically apart from you. And so I just, side note, I would just encourage you parents, if you're here today and you have grown children that you raised in the church and are not following the Lord, can I just encourage you that you cannot make them grow. You have no power to make that seed sprout, but you can continue to sow the seed. You can continue to do it, to pray and to wait on God, to do all you can do is be faithful. That's all you can do. You cannot change a person's heart. But here's the thing, this passage is so encouraging to me as a parent, as a pastor, because I am, I am being reminded that it does not matter how persuasive I am, it does not matter how educated I am. All that matters is if I sow the seed faithfully, and then God does the work, not me. Let me give you a couple illustrations of this. First off, this is this is really the story of my own conversion. I went to a young life camp after my senior year of high school. For four days, the speaker sowed the seed of the word, of the good news of the gospel. I thought it was silly. I thought it was boring. I didn't want anything to do with it. On the bus ride home, literally, everyone's asleep, kind of like this parable. Everyone on the bus is asleep, except there's a single light above me pointing down where I'm reading the Bible. And in that moment, the seed sprouted, and I came to faith in Christ. My young life leaders didn't even know for like a year that I became a Christian. And they were surprised because I was an unlikely convert. There's a, there's a story uh, just uh, February 1st. Uh, I got a text from my buddy uh, who was a part of my training house. And he said this in his text message. He says, you'd like to hear this. Zach and I are in a Thursday night core group where we discuss the previous week's sermon from the church we both attend. My friend and Zach did not go to church when they were in college. They didn't go to church after college. And yet God gave me this great privilege to sow seed in a very messy way. And I'm sure other people sowed seed in their life as well. But the fruit took decades. And so don't get discouraged if you don't see the sprout right away. Keep sowing the seed. Final story I wanna share with you. I'm not sure where I heard it from, but it's a story of a man uh, from England who was in the military, and they went to go fight a war. And, and he was mortally wounded. And they knew he was going to die, and so his buddy asked him, he said, hey, is there anything that you want me to do, like as a dying wish? He says, yes, please go tell Mr. Brown that his ministry has given me comfort in the time of death, and I'm going to be with Jesus. Sorry. So, so the man goes, and he finds Mr. Brown's house after the war ends, and he knocks on Mr. Brown's door, and Mr. Brown opens the door, and he says, hey, uh, so-and-so died in the war, but he wanted me to let you know that your ministry gave him comfort at the time of his death that he was going to be with Jesus, and Mr. Brown was kind of sheepish about it. Uh, Mr. Brown was this this guy's Sunday school teacher 15, 20 years before he tied, and he sowed the seed, and, and Mr. Brown said, you know what? I actually gave up doing children's ministry a long time ago because i thought i was having no effect at all i didn't see any change lies and so i gave up that ministry you know there are so many mr browns in our congregation who sow the seed in our children's church classes who sow the seed in awana who sow the seed at youth group who sold the seed um, at community group who sow the seed Uh, over the dinner table, who sow the seed at family devotional times, who are constantly sowing the seed, not constantly, but, but sowing the seed of the good news of the gospel of Christ and the word of God. And you do not see fruit and you must feel so discouraged. But there is this great promise that God in his timing with his purposes will spring the sprout of that seed to grow the kingdom of God. And so let's recap here. The surprising strategy of the kingdom of God is that it's not by military might, but by God putting the light of Jesus on a stand for all to see. And now he has given us, his church, that privilege as well. The secret sprouting of the kingdom of God is that it happens after the seed is sown gradually, often when the sower is asleep or is away. And so this is an encouragement to us. Keep sowing, even if you don't see the fruit. The final point point in the short is the substantial spread of the kingdom of God think about again Jesus's context Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth okay Uh, the scriptures tell us he was not an attractive man Uh, he was not a man of great religious position or political position in the culture he was a carpenter from Nazareth I mean this would be like the guy who comes from Casco to fix your toilet this is who Jesus was Jesus starts to teach and to do miracles, and he gains some of his followers. And to be honest with you, he doesn't grab the the brightest or the best. He grabs fishermen and tax collectors, people with poor reputations. And yet Jesus comes and he makes this audacious, crazy promise that the kingdom that he is establishing is going to take over the world. Look with me here in verse 30. And Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. You know, I already confessed to you that I'm not a gardener. Um, I don't know what a mustard seed looks like. I don't know what a mustard tree looks like. All I know is I like mustard on my hot dog. And so if you don't know what a mustard seed or mustard tree looks like, here is an illustration of a picture of a mustard seed and mustard tree. I think we got one. There we go. If you can see here, there is a mustard seed, a tiny little seed, um, in a person's uh, blown-up fingers. Uh, And here's a mustard tree, okay? And so as I looked at this picture, I thought, you know, how many of these little seeds would it take to make up this tree? Like if This is like a dip and dot, if you know what those are. Like if you crunched them together, how many would it take to make a tree? I don't know, like a gajillion, maybe. I I have no idea. It would take a lot to to make up that whole tree. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate, that from this one seed, this one Jewish carpenter from Nazareth is going to sprout the kingdom of God that is going to overtake the entire world. History has proven this to be true. Uh, it, it has been said that about a third of the world claims to be Christian. We know not all of those are Christians, but would identify Christianity as their main religion. And unlike other religions, Christianity actually infiltrates every ethnicity, uh, every, every, uh, every uh, financial status. Uh, it, it infiltrates the entire world. Uh, here's a map that was put out by PBS uh, back in 2010, and, and they kind of marked here, like, what are the major religions of the world? And they marked here in purple, uh, Christianity, where it's the dominant religion uh, throughout the world. And then they marked these other religions. And what you notice here is that Christianity is spread out through the entire world. And we know even in China, which the dominant religion is non-religion, we know that the gospel in Christianity is growing like gangbusters. And so we know it's growing even in these areas here. But what you notice with a lot of the other religions is a lot of them are arranged by, by ethnicity, by geography. But the kingdom of God has spread throughout the entire world. And so this, this, this carpenter from Nazareth makes this amazing promise that none of his disciples could really understand. But today we see has come true that Christianity, the kingdom of God, is taking over the world. And it's doing it with a surprising strategy, which is not a military might, but about sharing a story, a story of a Jewish carpenter who claimed to be God, who died on the cross and rose again on the third day. That is a strategy that has overtaken the world. Let me end with this. Um, a few years ago, my family goes down to Florida almost every year now. Uh, again, like I said, I'm Southern Belle, it's just good for my soul. And so a few years ago, we went down there, and uh, I was looking at the prices to go to uh, the Magic Kingdom, Disney, and I'm like, "Oh man, that's pricey." Uh, and so when you put together that with parking and other things, it ends up being like a thousand dollars for our family, which is okay. I mean, we could do that, but you're also adding that on top of you know, hotels and getting there and all that sort of stuff. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. It just, it adds up very quickly. And so I'm like, okay, we're never going to do this, and I'm totally fine with that. Like, I'm okay that we're not going to go to the Magic Kingdom. A little sad because it's such a special memory for me, but I won't be able to take my kids, and that's okay. Well, then I found out I could get in for free. Do I have your attention? <laughs> I could get in free to the, to the Magic Kingdom. And the way that you can get in, do you want to know how to get in free? Do you want to know? I think you do. The, the way that you can get in free uh, is not by going on a timeshare tour. Uh, it's not with a magic ticket. The way that you can get into the magic kingdom is only, for free, is only through a person. And that person for us is my Uncle Fred. I'm sorry, he's not your uncle, but he is my uncle. Uncle Fred worked at Disney for several years. And because he worked at Disney, he now has free passes that he can use with family members. And so we got in free to the Magic Kingdom. We also got in, uh, we got free parking because through this person, Fred, we got in. But what's so interesting is as we went to the Magic Kingdom, it wasn't as great as I remembered it to be as a child. Um, You sit in line for about an hour to two hours, and, and then you get on a ride, and if you've been there recently, uh, basically every ride is archaic except for the new ones. And, and you sit in a car, and you go from room with people, room with people, room to room to room to room. And then you get up, and you go to the next line and wait for an hour or two to sit in a cart to go room to room to room. We didn't even go on the new rides because it was literally a half a day wait. To stay there, so we just went to the other rides, and I left. And I'm so thankful we got to go. It is a very, I mean, magical thing in many ways. But as I was leaving, I was like, you know what, I'm okay if I never come back here. I'm okay. I'm alright if I don't come back. And as I was thinking through that, even last night, I was like, you know what, if if the happiest place on earth, if the most magical kingdom on earth, does not satisfy my soul, doesn't that mean we're made for a greater kingdom? Does that mean that we are made for a more magical kingdom? Where all the sad things of the world come untrue. Where there's no waiting line. And where we will never get bored. And we will be in constant joy. Friends, this is what Jesus has come to do. He has come to establish the kingdom that all our hearts long for. The kingdom of God. But here's the thing. You can't afford it. You can't get in. You could sell all your possessions. And you wouldn't be able to get in but Jesus has provided a way that you can get in for free. And it's through a person. It's through the king himself who has beckoned us to come into the kingdom of God and to enjoy the beauty and the blessing and the majesty and the wonder of the kingdom of God. And it's a kingdom that you will never get bored of. You see, Jesus made a way into this happy, magical kingdom in a surprising way, with a surprising strategy. You see, Jesus didn't kill his enemies to establish his kingdom, but he was killed by his enemies on our behalf to die for our sin. And then three days later, he secretly sprouted, raising from the dead, conquering Satan, sin, and death on our behalf. And now through this good news message of Jesus, it is substantially spreading his kingdom throughout the entire world, but also in our own lives. And so friends, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, or if you want more of this kingdom, come to the king. He is the only way into this kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you see this world and you say, it's not good. We need another kingdom. We need to fix all the broken things of the world. And so you have done that by sending your son, the light of the world, into the world to redeem us, redeem the world, draw it back to yourself, Lord God, and establish your kingdom on this world. And Lord, how we long, how we long for you to finish that kingdom where you make all things happy and holy in the presence of our King. And so God, I want to end this prayer with a prayer that your son taught us, where he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen.